although the church celebrates today two saints, Cosmas and Damien. I'm not going to talk about them because we really don't know much about their life other than they died as martyrs in the year 303. Although tradition tells us they were twins and that they were doctors and that they were well known for giving away their medical care for free to the poor and those who needed it. And so probably as a result attracted the attention of the authorities as well and, and ended up giving their lives as a witness of martyrs. But a great example of, you know, taking those skills God has given us and making use of them, serving him and others every day. But in the lives of the saints, there's a temptation to present the saints as overly pious, almost otherworldly, thinking them always holy and without sin. But in reality, we know this isn't the case. All saints began as sinners. They weren't born holy. They were not perfect. It is only through time and effort that they made progress in conversion and holiness. And in this talk, I want to look at a saint who experienced in the flesh, in the real nitty-gritty of life, what it means to receive the mercy of God, and then in turn became a conduit of mercy for others, for the church and the world. Because if there's a saint who embodies the definition of repentance and conversion, it's St. Augustine who most definitely did not begin his life as a saint. He lived a sinful life, but then received that forgiveness and witnessed how it was not by his own power, but by the grace of God, his life was radically transformed. Through that mercy, he was dramatically changed. And as we go through the details of his life, that there's an overall lesson to the story it might be to point out that God's power and mercy is able to bring good even out of evil. Sometimes we forget this is a part of God's mercy. It's a part of his omnipotence, that he's powerful over all things. And a special gift of his power and mercy is that he can even bring good about from things that are wicked. Thus, even out of Augustine's life of sin, God's mercy drew great good for the church. Augustine was born in 354 in Roman North, North Africa. Like most any other child, he didn't always obey his parents and teachers. In school, he learned many things he would use later, but at the same time, he only wanted to play and avoid being punished. One example is that he rebelled and refused to study Greek. As a result, he never mastered Greek. And by the time he realized that he really needed it, it was too late. But one of the things he did learn in school was how society only seemed to be concerned about gaining riches and honor with little or no concern for morals or God. As a teenager, Augustine spent much time in idleness, which led him to many sins. He tried only to please himself and win the approval of others. As just one example, he tells how he and his friends would steal pears from a local orchard. And they didn't take them because they were hungry or even to eat them. He enjoyed wickedness for its own sake, enjoying the excitement and pleasure just from doing something wrong. 
and also reflects how he was influenced by his peers, doing things he wouldn't have except for the group he was involved with and trying to you know, impress them or win their esteem. We would say that Augustine was extremely intelligent. He absorbed his studies on the ancient literature of the Roman world, grammar and rhetoric, even things he learned in primary school. He was later able to recall in great detail. And so his parents wanted him to continue his studies and become a professor, to be able to teach and have many pupils, which was a prestigious and at times somewhat lucrative position. Thus, even if he wasn't real interested in school, Augustine followed this path forward as a career, as an opportunity, and began to see what he could do with his learning, particularly what he could do with his words. And he had a great ability to speak and had the oratorical skills to be able to convince people of all kinds of things, true or not. And not only did he have the skill, but he could also teach the skill, which made him money. So he taught rhetoric from the vantage point of, here's all the tricks of the trade, so that anyone will believe what you say because it sounds so good. It sounds so attractive. Simply put, he was a teacher of lies. He taught people how to effectively lie in their public speaking so as to get what they want, especially in the area of politics. Sounds like things haven't changed much, have they? So we get a glimpse of his great intellect, but also his lack of integrity. And he would work in this field for many years. But here we already see an area where God would later bring about much good. Because after his conversion, Augustine would put these great oratorical skills towards preaching and his great knowledge and intellect to writing for which he would later become a doctor of the church. At the age of 17, Augustine went to Carthage to continue his education and rhetoric. There in college, Augustine's studies also led him to a love of philosophy, sparking him to study the Bible, not so much in a desire to find God or faith, but seeking wisdom wherever he could find it. And another example of how God would write straight with his crooked lines, because even though Augustine studied the Bible for improper motives and would fall into a heresy, his knowledge of the Bible would, of course, be a great service to the church later in his life. When he began to study the Bible, he joined a group called the Manichaeans, who did not teach the true Christian doctrine. This heresy taught many strange beliefs and myths, and so he was diverted from finding God for a time in his life. The Manichaeans had some views like good and evil gods fighting against each other that we would, of course, find pretty strange. But the primary error of the Manichaeans was that all material things are evil, and thus only spiritual things are good. And like all heresies, there's an element of truth there, right? The spiritual things are the greater good over material things. But the result was that the Manichaeans and Augustine didn't then understand the true nature of Jesus' incarnation, that he could be both God existing for all time and truly take on our human nature to have a human body, mind, and soul. 
because they saw all material things as evil. And so, too, the human flesh is evil, and there's no way God could have combined himself with that, taken it on. Only later would Augustine come to realize that all created things are good. That evil is just privation or absence of good, a misuse of these good things God has created. Of course, this belief that the things of the flesh are evil had important consequences. One direction would lead a person to say, well, since the body is evil, well, I can do with it whatever I want. I don't have to worry about it because it's just really my spirit or soul that I need to protect. And it can become an excuse for justifying the committing of every bodily sin possible, such as lust and gluttony. Then there were other Manichaeans who went the opposite direction. Since the body is evil, we have to chastise it. We have to discipline it, keep it under our domination. Besides this false religion, he was concerned with many vain things, such as gaining popularity and teaching. He also followed astrology and horoscopes for a time until he realized that these were just based on chance and guessing. Then there's the fact that you may be familiar with that since he was the age of 16, Augustine began to fall headlong into a strong desires of lust. Again, we see the importance of choosing one's friends carefully. Augustine associated with other young men who boy, boasted of their sexual exploits. And so feeling he wanted to gain their acceptance, that led him to seek sexual experiences. So Augustine lived a hedonistic lifestyle, becoming more entrapped in lust and sensual sins such as fornication, what today we euphemistically call premarital sex. He cohabitated with a woman for a long time, although he never married her. He had a son with this concubine and remained with her for over 15 years. And this is something that had a deep impact on his life. As he reflected on it later, he saw how strong and continuous this desire of lust was in his life. In fact, it turns out to be one of the breaking points that almost prevents his conversion as he doesn't know if he could turn to Christ because he doesn't know if he could give up this desire and the satisfaction and pleasure that comes with it. Augustine had other dark spots in his life. One was a great disrespect for his mother, Monica. Many of you probably know how Monica had a great love for her son. She prayed and sacrificed for him for many years. Yet, even though she had this strong maternal love, this didn't stop Augustine from basically abandoning her. She wanted to accompany him as he left Africa to take a position in Rome and further his career. And as they were preparing to travel to Rome together, they traveled down to the coast of Carthage, but Augustine deceived Monica, basically telling her, okay, this is the spot where we're gonna get our ship. You wait right here, I'll be right back. And then he goes and gets on another boat and goes to Rome without her. Don't do that to your mom. <laughs> you know, abandoning her at a seaport, which probably paled in comparison to all the suffering Monica endured watching her son for years entangled in sin. 
as you may know, Augustine wasn't baptized and, you know, didn't have that Christian faith of his mother. But thanks to her prayers and tears, they became, a, you know, such a great source of mercy for Augustine that she knew what a pitiable state his soul was in. And God was already at work, you know, even in that dark and sinful heart. Thus, while he was in Rome, learning more about rhetoric and teaching it, Augustine began to see some of the oddities and problems with the Manichaean heresy, how their teachings contradicted the truth. And he traveled from Rome to Milan seeking answers. He went to Milan because he heard that there was this orator there, one even more skilled than he was in rhetoric and public speaking, named Ambrose. Ambrose had fairly recently become the Bishop of Milan and was now using his great speaking ability as an impressive witness to the true Catholic faith, sharing the gospel of salvation with all his wisdom. So again, Augustine comes for improper motives. He just wants to listen to Ambrose for his oratorical skill, hoping to become a better teacher of rhetoric. But gradually he heard not just how Ambrose spoke and the techniques he used, but he heard what he was saying. And so in spite of himself, God's mercy was at work. He couldn't help but being drawn closer to the Catholic faith, hearing the reasons for Ambrose's faith and the faith of Christians, hearing, hearing about the nature of sin and the power of baptism, which gives new life. Augustine decided to become a catechumen. He heard the gospel of salvation and these things began to work in his heart. And it's, of course, St. Ambrose who would eventually baptize Augustine. Augustine began to realize that a lot of the things he thought the church taught are not actually what it did, right? They had a lot of blind accusations. For a, t a time, Augustine struggled to believe in spiritual things he couldn't see. Then he came to realize that every day we believe in so many things that we can't see things we've never seen. Yet Augustine still doesn't become a Catholic because he's held back by that strong temptation to worldly things and his sexual desires. In fact, even when he ended his relationship with his lover to prepare to marry a 10-year-old, he procured another concubine since he had to wait two years since until his fiance became of age of marriage. Augustine confessed he was a slave of lust and his emotional bondage was not healed as he uttered his famously insincere prayer, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. And so he was not yet baptized because he thought he could never live a pure life. And he feared what he would become if he discontinued these carefree relationships. Fortunately, a series of events would make Augustine's conversion complete. One day he saw a beggar on the street who was carefree and happy despite his poverty. And Augustine realized the falsehood of his life of worries and unhappiness that comes from the pursuit of pleasures and worldly goods. Then several of Augustine's friends who had been living and studying within Rome began to have conversions. In his Confessions, Augustine talks about two friends, Olypius and Nebridius, whom he lived with in close contact, ardently pursuing truth together. 
Augustine tells us a little about Olypius. Olypius was addicted to the gladiator games, like hardcore addicted. I mean, the bloodlust, the adrenaline, the roar of the crowds. I mean, today you would say he was addicted to sports, but not that different from addiction to pornography. He was one of Augustine's students who would come and listen to Augustine teach. One day while Olypius happened to be in the room for his lecture, Augustine used an example from the gladiator games to elucidate something about a Bible passage. And it resonated with Olypius who thought that Augustine was directing the metaphor at him. And so Olypius broke his gladiator addiction and became one of Augustine's pupils, but in a way also became one of Augustine's teachers by his example. And Olypius would later become a bishop as well. So his friends start to convert to Christianity and Augustine longed to follow their example. One day he heard about two men who had suddenly been converted on reading the life of St. Anthony. And he felt terribly ashamed of himself. What are we doing? He cried to his friends. Unlearned people are taking heaven by force. While we with all our knowledge are so cowardly that we keep rolling around in the mud of our sins. It seems like Augustine has finally figured it all out, but he's still just not sure he can give up his sins of the flesh, at least not on his own. Full of bitter sorrow, Augustine went into the garden and cried out to God, how much longer, O Lord? Why does not this hour put an end to my sins? And just then he heard the voice of a child singing, tole et lege, tole et lege, take and read, take and read. Thinking that God intended him to hear these words, he picked up a book of the epistle of St. Paul and opened it to the passage where St. Paul instructs us to give up all lust for earthly pleasure, to put away all impurity, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which in Paul is an expression for baptism. And this was Augustine's eureka moment. He realizes only by the grace of God and the sacrament of baptism that he can be free. And this results in his complete conversion and finally coming to Christ. And in the sacrament of baptism, Augustine found grace that not only liberated him from the guilt of his sins, but transformed his affections and actions because he discovered the one who could satisfy the deeper longings of his heart. In his weakness and fragility, Augustine cried out to God. Finally, in humility and dependence, he looked to God to provide what he needed to break his old habits. And just as he did for St. Augustine, the Lord will do for us. He will forgive our sins, heal those wounds when we call upon his mercy and faith and repentance. God forgives frees and restores in Christ Jesus, no matter our sins and shame. As St. Augustine wrote, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys, which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. 
You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. You who outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secret in our hearts. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Augustine was baptized and returned to North Africa where he became a priest and then the great Bishop of Hippo. As I said, Augustine would now use that skill of rhetoric. He had studied for years to become a famous preacher, writer, and one of the greatest saints that ever lived, a holy, faithful, godly man. And instead of self-interest and desire for gain, he became very charitable too. On the wall of his room, he wrote in large letters, here we do not speak evil of anyone. St. Augustine fought against heresies, practiced great poverty, supported the poor, preached very often, and prayed with great fervor right up until his death. Too late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Too late have I loved you, he cried out to God. And with his sincere repentance and holy life, he certainly made up for those many sins he had committed before his conversion. We know all of this about the life of Augustine because he wrote an autobiography that I highly recommend, The Confessions of St. Augustine. In Latin, the title of his book has two meanings. First, as we commonly say, it means the confession of our 